you're in it, but like mm, allowing yourself to go fluidic and just like fluidic, <laughs> lose physical form almost and, and just kind of like mm, melt in. Hello and welcome to Fuck Yeah, the podcast where we say fuck yeah to erotic embodiments. I'm here with the ever shining star of a co-host, Sarah. Hi, Sarah. <laughs> Hi, Robin. How are you? I'm good. I'm like fighting off the whatever everyone in my life illness they have had this season. But aside from that, I'm great. And uh, do you have any fuck yes this week? I Ew. Andrea and I got engaged. <gasps> okay, I already knew that, but I'm so excited yeah. that you're ready to announce it because I've been keeping a lid on it real hard. Oh, I'm so excited for you guys. Any dates or anything? No, no, no. I mean, it's going to be, it will be like the longest engagement in history. I don't think either of us are really ready to get married right now we've um we don't live together yet and yeah that'll be a big step for our um partnership because ruby's involved in that and all the things but it does feel very exciting she really surprised me i was not expecting it and um it was just like a full body yes Ugh. for me like I just it wasn't even you know like I'm such an over processor and I want to talk everything out and think everything out and it wasn't that at all it was just such an Ugh, I'm gonna cry. automatic yes from my body which goes really well with our uh you know topic today which is why I was like it's time to announce but um will you tell me how she did it yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I thwarted all plans that she had. Uh, she proposed on her anniversary and I think she had lots of romantical contexts where it could happen and I kept being really grumpy. It was this up when you were up in Portland, right? It was when we got back and okay. there just was still a lot of logistics we were dealing with. And then we tried to have a romantical dinner and I was grumpy. And so we, um, one of the things that we do together a lot is we take baths together. Oh, I love that. Yeah, it's really, it's really nice. And it's like a, it's a way that we will be physical and intimate with each other. That's not sex. Yeah. And so it just means a lot to us. We have, um, lots of deep talk in the bath and lots of like sensual touching and it's so so nice and so she was like let me draw us a bath too so smart this day and you know she um she got down on one knee in the bathtub and I didn't notice (laughs) I didn't realize what was happening and um she gave me a ring, but she had also given me a ring for our anniversary as like my present to throw me off her scent uh-huh. or something. And I was like, well, what, what is this ring? I don't <laughs> understand. Yeah. I'm like this ring's a little different. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so I uh, was like, can you be very specific with your question? 
And uh, she did finally say, will you marry me? First, she said, you know, I would like to spend my life with you. And I hope that you would like to do the same. And uh, which was beautiful. And of course, I said, yeah, like it was an automatic yes. And then yeah. I had a couple caveats where which were, this is tentative until you talk to Ruby or until we talk to Ruby. Right. You know, obviously I talked to Ruby first and, um, and then I also said, we, you know, we have to live together before we get married. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then uh, she's like, and in true Sarah fashion, you then said, <laughs> what does marriage mean to you? Which I did. because <laughs> I mean, yeah, obviously. I love yeah. it so yeah. much. I'm so happy for you both. Uh, yeah, it's really, it's really nice to uh, be in a place with somebody of, uh, just not feeling like I have to have it all figured out right. or that we've got to talk through all the answers. Like I can be so controlling. And I think that that's actually where that easy yes, because, you know, having been a divorced person, I have really, and I'm a queer person, I have really complicated um, feelings and thoughts about marriage. And yeah, with her, it is this like, there is such kindness and generosity between us yeah and with that as our base I feel like all of the other stuff falls into place in the sense of we don't have to have it figured out yeah because we will figure it out together in a way that is generous and supportive Ugh. And I haven't ever had that. In oh, I'm so happy for you. I want all of the Andrea yeah. for you. Oh, yeah. well, tear me too. Well, congratulations. Thank you. Oh, and I know I would like to also say that I know that this is a really big move for Andrea as well. She's not someone that would mm -hmm. ask if it wasn't fucking for real so i know i know <sighs> once she gets sure about something she's so sure having her who i love so deeply and i'm so hot for and like so much feel that sure about me really heals um a lot of my abandonment stuff no. in a way that is just so simple in the day-to-day -day. you know it just like takes the edge off of me and helps me like I said just not be a controlling mess yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh well I am here for it whatever wedding plans or oh, we bachelor gonna party. parties or whatever the fuck queer ass thing you guys are gonna do i am <laughs> gonna be really, here to help really fun it'll probably be really witchy yes and really party all the candles yeah. whatever you need mm -hmm. <laughs> all the dancing yes yeah it's gonna be good <laughs> i'm so excited i'm so excited congratulations you deserve it thank you yeah it's a nice moment <sighs> Um, speaking of witchy and queer, mm. we have a really cool guest yes. today. Uh, Lucy Fielding is joining Dr. us. Dr. Lucy Fielding. I know, I know. <laughs> she is the author of Trans Sex, Clinical Approaches to Trans Sexualities and Erotic Embodiments. Yes, please. So... 
juicy. Her book was the winner of the ASECT Book Award 2022 and a finalist in the Transgender Nonfiction category for Lambda Literary Awards. So she's a real smarty pants. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But she also is just, she's an educator. And uh, if you don't follow um, Sex Beyond Binaries online, you absolutely should because she contains multitudes and does so many amazing things. So I'm really, and she's a femme. (laughs) Uh, So yeah, we're really excited to be in conversation with Lucy Fielding today. Yay, let's jump in. Hello, Lucy Fielding. We are so excited to have you here. Welcome. Oh, I am so excited to be in conversation with y'all. I am such big fans. Oh, thank you. Hey, so we're going to, as you know, start you off with some rapid fire questions. Yay. What is the last podcast you listened to? So besides this one, I am a devotee of normal gossip. Oh. Have you heard of this podcast? I have not. No. So. Please. I love gossip. I think gossip is like, I think y'all talked about it in one of the first two episodes, but it was like, you know, gossip is like, I feel like it's so queer mm. and it's, it's so community building and, um, and it's something that's really important to my nesting partner and I, and in our relationship, like every day when one of us comes home, it's like, what's the gossip today? Yeah. You know, um, so this is a podcast. It's like there's a it's like an hour length and they tell this like it's just everyday people like there's one about a sorority wedding that is like chef's kiss. So you're just listening to like everyday people's gossip. Like, do they have different people every time or is it always the same people? Yeah. So it's the the same host and then there's a guest who they tell the gossip to. So they have a script that they're from a listener submitted gossip. And and it's just like, it's amazing. I love that idea. That's a great yeah, idea. Yeah, that sounds really fun. And none of it is like terribly mean. It's not mean spirited. It's just, you know, it's very, I, I mean, they do like identify like one of the questions at the end is like who is the villain of this story and so yeah yeah it's a little bit of a key part of gossip right yeah is that what makes it like what's telling stories versus telling gossip I guess it's that you're talking about other people isn't gossip what you wouldn't say to somebody's face necessarily like it's the thing that you you will say about somebody but not to somebody yeah yeah but it's also power leveling i think Mm -hmm. you know because especially like in professional contexts because we have this opportunity to like as sex educators when we're when we're like oh um this person offered this amount for Mm. you know this gig and oh yeah did you did you ask for this and you know and things like that and so we're we're talking about that and that's gossip yeah, you know, gossip um, is our primary sex education tool, right? Or pleasure education, at least. Yeah. Hey, so um, what's the last picture on your phone? <laughs> um, I I think it is a lingerie set that I was uh, that I screenshotted to send to um, a date about like whether 
whether she would like that on me. So I love that. Can you tell me what it can you give us a description of the lingerie? Um, so it's um black background and then it's it's there's um some gold shoots in it, but also some like pink poppies all over it. It's wow. Andrea Preda, I think, is is the and it's yeah, mm-hmm. and it's just so pretty and it has like the it has a corset part. I love corsets. Yeah. Um, and uh, so it has a corset part that also has built in suspenders for garters. Ah, uh, you are speaking my language right now. <laughs> I would love to know what is it that you love about corsets? I used to wear corsets on the daily when I was a dom and um, and I had a certain love for them for particular reasons. But I'm interested in what what they do for you. So. I, I really want to hear your reason, but um, to start us off, like, um, first, I think that it is, I love the constriction. I love when I'm tightening the stays. Mm-hmm. That's a really um, wonderful self-pleasure moment for me. And just kind of getting all of that right in the ribbons and all the things. And then there's a real gender pleasure piece, mm. which is to say that, like, I like what it does to my curves. Mm-hmm. Um, I like what it does to push my breasts up. Mm. My my love for them, it says I have some we have some crossover. It's partly the constriction. It's almost like a hug. Mm-hmm. And then um, but there is another element for me where because I was doing it as a dom, it felt almost like armor. It because there's like a hardness to them, like, or at least the corsets that I would wear. Mm-hmm. I, I like to make my body look more extreme. It felt like my battle armor in a way. And also just a, almost like putting a collar on a submissive also of like cinching it in. It's like, all right, I'm ready for work. Yeah. Yeah. The ritual of putting it on can have so much meaning. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think like scenes are are so imbued with ritual mm-hmm. that this is... This is scene space. Yes. We are doing something special here. I love that so much. I am dying to know who your first celebrity crush was. Can I give two? Yes. Okay. So the first was, this is a kink route. Julie Andrews is Mary Poppins. Wow. I just rewatched that movie with my daughter, and I want to hear more about this because I did not remember like how delicious she is in that movie. <laughs> she, she is the perfect, like subtle dom. Yeah. Yes. The scene that I'm that I always think about is like she comes in and she starts reading off the list of requirements that Mr. Banks's, you know, children have mm-hmm. have written and that Mr. Banks had torn up. And so he's like flabbergasted and already on the wrong foot and she starts like listing them off and then providing commentary like oh I can do that oh I can do that and at one point um it's like unfailingly kind and she says I am kind but firm (laughs) and and I just like you felt things inside (laughs) things inside you know in much the same way as like Disney Sleeping Beauty, the the scene where like Maleficent has the the prince Prince Charming like all trussed up, 
And I'm like, do I want to be Maleficent or do I want to be Prince Charming dressed up? Ooh, I'll be Maleficent. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So there's a scene that, because I rewatched it with my kids um, somewhat recently, and I was shocked at a certain scene, especially for the time where all the chimney sweeps have been running amok in the house. Mm-hmm. And then the dad is like, um, you know, they're all out and he's like, Mary Poppins, explain yourself. And she, it, it was something like that. And she says something along the lines of, I never explain myself and walks away. She's like, no, bitch, I don't answer to you. Okay. (laughs) I love it so much. What a great, you know, we, Sarah, we need to add this to our list of femdom icons. Absolutely. Cause I think it's that like those early crushes have that thing for me of like, do I want to be you? Or do you know, like so much of that early, uh, I think, formation of our sexuality is really informed by who do I want to be? So mm-hmm. there's like this desire that you have towards certain people, not necessarily because that is how you're, you know, who you're going to ultimately be attracted to. It's like the parts of yourself that you want to cultivate. Mm-hmm. And when I rewatched Mary Poppins, I was like, oh, my gosh, like I am tapping into like such interesting information from my like early years and how I responded to this and remembering all of it. And like, so I love that you brought up Mary Poppins. And, and I think there's a particularly queer experience, I think, of do I want to be you or do I want to be with you? And there's so much crossover with that, especially, I think, when you're like a, a queer kid. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally, totally. Um, I, I didn't have words for it. I mean, yeah, it's a lot of things, you know, where we don't have words for things. I didn't have a word for who I am as a dominant in, until like four years ago. And it's like, mommy. Oh, I love it. Mm. And so, like, I refer to myself as a kinky Mary Poppins. That is my archetypal root. I mean, when you say that, we all know what you're talking about. You know, it's a great great word for it. All right. So I'm dying to know who the second crush is. The second one, uh, Denise Crosby as Tasha Yar in Star Trek The Next Generation. All right. I am not a Trekkie. Tell me which, who is she? So she was only... Uh, a cast member, regular cast member on the first season. So like 1987. And is she the blonde? Yes. yes. I know with the short hair. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. I know exactly so like, who you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Yes. And she is like, for me, a very queer root. Mm-hmm. Like it's like, Ooh, Fuji, <laughs> I love you. <laughs> yes. I mean, so many things from my, you know, personal life end up in, in my work. And um, one of the things that I wrote in my book was this scene starting off with, with Tasha Yar and Commander Data, you know, and Mm. it's like, it it Mm. was so early imprinted on my embodied psyche. Yeah, Tasha Yar, mm, queer root. Good one. You got some good ones. Hey, so, um, what was your first mode of masturbation? Um, so I think I think I was like four or five. 
maybe. <laughs> and it was like the pool jets. Ah, oh, the best, the best. Before the shower head, it was the pool jets, you know, and I was like, oh, I, hmm, this feels really good. Wow. Water, you know, mm -hmm. the seed of life. Fluidity. <laughs> and everybody, I was such a late bloomer. Yep. And we keep learning, Robin, that you just, you, <laughs> you were behind the curve. I missed out on a decade <laughs> of masturbation and I'm real pissed. Yeah, Robin is really waiting for someone to answer this question and be like, I was 27 years old. <laughs> that She can finally be like, I wasn't the last one. <laughs> I, I know some people, I, I can send them your way. Like, you are not alone. Thank you. Thanks. Okay, so I would love for you to share, you know, we're familiar with your work. And I was actually wondering, I was like, oh, do we need to call you doctor? If that's, I mean, is that a thing for you? What do you tell, tell our listeners what you do and how you got into your work? Tell us, doctor. So first of all, um, like Janet Jackson might say, um, it's Dr. Fielding if you're nasty. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> really, it's it's not a clinical degree, so I I don't ask folks to call me Dr. Fielding. Um, so I actually have a PhD in French with a mm. background in erotic literature and histories of sexuality. So like I was gonna say that's the sexiest doctorate I've ever heard of. <laughs> Although <laughs> I, at the time it was not like that's a flex. It was not great because like I'd have I'd bring dates home and they'd see the shelf of the Marquis de Sade. And it was like, oh, gosh, I have a um, God, I have a really early workout the next morning. You know, I would say that's a good um, test. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, on if the person's going to be appropriate uh -huh. for you. <laughs> so that background, I I don't name it to be like obnoxious or even to, you know, like flex as, as you said, Robin, but like, you know, it's really just that that background informs everything of the way that I like approach my work mm -hmm. as an educator, as a therapist, um, and, uh, and as a writer, because I'm always wanting to tell stories and I'm always wanting to figure out how our stories, how our images, how our metaphors cultural scripts, how are they always swirling around our bodies and intersecting with mm. them and forming and informing. And so like I use words like embodied and and, mm. you know, what I mean to say there is like the first part of that is when you embody something, you embody an ideal, whether that's, um, you know, a societal ideal that's that's terribly toxic like beauty ideals for example right or whether it is you know more i don't know positive traits we embody those but those are all stories that that are coming in from without and and are we're taking in i mean just you starting to talk about your work is i have so many warm feelings in my body because I feel like this is something that has really been missing in the field of sexuality, sex therapy, clinical work for so long is that there's like this bridge that's needed between like 
the these concepts and theory and then the like humanity right <laughs> you know how they actually yeah. like play out in our lives and when I started seeing your book and for anyone who does not know your book it is called transsex clinical approaches to transsexualities and erotic embodiments it was starting to be promoted last year and I the thing that really stood out to me was the inclusion of erotic embodiment yeah. in the book. And I was like, yes. And then I started seeing that groups like ASECT mm -hmm. were having you come and present your approach to clinicians. And I had these like mind blown moments of like, oh my gosh, are we finally here where like the institutions are really interested in having these conversations like this is so exciting and so I I mean I would love I guess as a starting point just to know when you are writing about erotic embodiment mm -hmm. and and working with folks around this concept what does that mean to you yeah so there's that first sense and then there's the sense that I always want to bring us back to, the sense of we are in a body that has viscera and, and makes all sorts of fun and yummy noises and effusions, fluids, um, you know, like we are awkward, messy beings. <laughs> and, and I really want to bring us to that, to that messiness, you know, because I think sex, the, the erotic is itself. And I don't mean to conflate sex and the erotic. I, I really think the erotic is, is much bigger than sex. Sex is merely an aspect of the erotic. But the sense that sex is messy and it's, and at its best, it's awkward and kind of goofy, you know, and when you're not like, taking yourself so seriously mm. which is why we we like try to get away from like the performance discourse right you know that there's a specific there's this one technique that mm -hmm. you need or there's you need to sex needs to last a certain amount of time or it can't take more than this amount of time it's those stories that you were talking mm -hmm. about that are given to us yeah. like we have a specific story around sex that is so cishet normative and yeah. so many people are just trying to perform that story and it's so unfulfilling. Or if you're trying to just perform the action in order to get to the results, are you even really interacting with your body? You're just, it's just your, yeah. your ideas and your story, like a play acting out. Well, it's like when I work with clients around, you know, who are coming in and, and saying, I don't really experience orgasms in partnered sex. Mm -hmm. It's not that I am forgetting the goal of orgasm, but it's just like I, I really, from the very beginning, try to refocus it on pleasure. You know, are you having a good time? Mm -hmm. The metaphor that I sometimes use is like, I'm not a runner, but I, I know people who who run and, and who get such great pleasure out of it. And I think about like, you can run with the goal of like, I'm going to get this many steps, mm -hmm. this length of time. Or you can run from the place of, 
I'm running barefoot and the and the dewy grass is like tickling the arches of my foot. Mm-hmm. And um and I'm running at sunrise and oh my god, it's like the sky is a trans pride flag. <laughs> um, you know, it's like, isn't that brilliant? And so, like, if you're just focused on the goal of like orgasm, then it's like a watch pot never boils. Right. So you're missing out on all of the wonderful, wonderful sensations and experiences. And claiming that as 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 something that is a right, you know, that we have a right to the pleasure, mm-hmm. you know, not pleasure with a specific person at a particular time, but our pleasure is important. It is something we deserve to experience as part of our um, experiences. And so that's what I, I often want to pull us back to is when we're experiencing pleasure, we're in our bodies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's so revolutionary, you know, it, because it, I do think we're in the midst of a another sexual revolution right now. But it's really like a pleasure revolution, a gender revolution. I saw this phrase on your website. Uh, you use the term gender expansive. Mm-hmm. I'm just, yes. And even like pleasure expansion, um, pleasure positive rather than sex positive, mm-hmm. you know, and what what is giving us joy in our bodies when it comes to how how, like you're saying, we embody ourselves through pleasure and through our, our presentation, mm-hmm. all of these things. It's so exciting, like it feels like a liberation moment to get away from these fucked up puritanical <laughs> patriarchal scripts. They even like, you know, you, I'll always bring up capitalism, getting yeah. into our lives in a way that does not serve us at all. In fact, it drains us. And yeah, going from this body forward um, place is just so I'm like tingly thinking about my body's excited. My body's like, yes, finally <laughs> talk about us. I've been here the whole fucking time, you know? It's very exciting. I'm very happy about the work that you're doing to move this forward in the conversation. Thank you. There's a thing that I, um, I, I, I really think it took me about 10 years of teaching sex ed to come to a concept of erotic mindfulness. Mm. And this is now sort of at the root of if I'm ever going to teach or get people together to talk about pleasure this concept for me is now at the heart of everything that i'm teaching and it's literally just like what you're describing as like the run and feeling the dewy grass on your feet that if you can put a lens of where you're just noticing pleasure wherever it comes up in non-erotic contexts in erotic contexts, these really simple moments of like feeling the breeze on your skin suddenly becomes a portal where you are able to connect to your body and that that connection to your body then can open up a world of pleasure 
and you can start expanding your definition. And from there, I feel like people can start having such more meaningful moments, either connecting with a partner, connecting in like a self-care moment, you know, just existing throughout the day and like being inspired to take a break and stepping outside. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's so important. Um, I'm really glad you, you mentioned, you know, the, the self-pleasure practices, you know, it's like, I think about this kind of interminable pandemic, this collective trauma event that we're in and the ways that, that really forced me to think about like, what are my, what are self-pleasure practices even beyond genital-based self-pleasure, you know, like, right. mm -hmm. so like cleaning and conditioning my leathers is, is a big mm. self-pleasure <laughs> practice for me, or like as said, tightening the stays of my corset. And it's, and it's those moments where um, we enter what a mentor called um, an associational state with dissociation, you're, you know, outside of your body, you're above your body, you're, or you're in it, but it's kind of like you're in the back of a taxi cab and someone else is driving. Mm -hmm. When you said associational, I was like, I don't know what that word means. And then you said disassociation. I was like, oh, it's the opposite of that. Like, I've never heard it. I've only heard about disassociation, yeah. and not association. Like, that's so, you're, I don't know. I just have my little mind blown oh, for a second about that word. <laughs> but yeah, it's a moment where we're like, I could associate. Yeah. <laughs> you can associate your, your um, mm -hmm. consciousness can be diffuse in your body. Mm. Yeah. So you're, you're in it, but like, Mm, allowing yourself to go fluidic and just like fluidic <laughs> lose physical form almost and and just kind of like mm, melt in my nesting partner has this metaphor for when she's exhausted she says the string got cut and mm. and i think about like you know what happens if somebody just like cuts that string and you allow yourself to crumple uh, yeah there's such an inherent expansiveness and inclusiveness in this too, because when we're talking about the models of sexuality that we're fed in terms of like sex equals this amount of time, these particular acts with these particular people, that fits us all into the same box. Yeah. But if you start thinking of things in this, like um, the concept of associative, like what gets you into that state? Mm -hmm. Suddenly there are endless possibilities. Yes. So for some per one person, it might be baking. Mm -hmm. And for another person, it might be hard fucking. But it, but it's like, yeah. <laughs> neither is, there's not a hierarchy. There. Yeah. So much. Yes. I love that. Yeah. The, the cultural scripts that come at us and the ways that they harm all of us. I think about the scripts around you know, like hard penises, you know, like the only good cock is a hard cock. And yeah, hard cocks are lovely. So are soft cocks. <laughs> but so are soft cocks. And, mm -hmm. and the ways that, you know, for, for folks who are penis owners or who have, um, you know, 
sex with penis owners, how limiting those scripts can be. And and then there's all this yeah. talk of failure. Like I'm I'm a failure because I can't last long enough, because I can't I can't get it up. It's disrespectful to the body. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like you're not seeing the body. You're not going with what what it, it can do and wants to do. You're going with that script that has everything to do with just like, I guess, reproduction and sexual domination. I mean, it's also what you were saying earlier of capitalism, right? Like this idea that everything has to be towards performance. Mm -hmm. It has to be productive. Mm -hmm. It has to be quote unquote good or mm -hmm. like this idea of sex as requiring a penis it, and it being towards production mm. and reproduction, mm -hmm. I think is sort of inherently mm -hmm. capitalist. Turn out those workers. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. 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 I mean, what do you feel, Lucy, in terms of the field in general? I mean, I know that you do a lot of work with clinicians and you know, certainly in your work, mm -hmm. pushing towards a lot of meaningful movement in the direction of an inclusive and pleasure positive approach. But do you think that this is generally where things are moving? Or do you think the field is still guided by these kind of outdated cis, het, puritanical belief systems? Oh, that's that's so good. And and thank you for asking, Sarah. Um, I think there's a lot of movement. The more and more accessible we make sex education and sex therapy as, as fields or gender therapy as fields, the more of that kind of, this kind of approach is, is going to be there because we're going to be hearing voices who say, like, you know, actually, that does not align mm -hmm. with my experience and, mm -hmm. you know, the experience of my lineage. And that doesn't, that's very self-centered. How can we make this more collective? I, I think it really starts with making our structures more accessible, mm. as accessible as possible so that more people are, are getting in on it. You know, um, my friend Roger Kuhn talks about mm -hmm. himself as like this kind of um, sledgehammer, you know, almost <laughs> like, you know, you, you let me in the door and I'm just going <laughs> to batter it down. Yeah. You know, that's how I kind of, I kind of embrace the idea of being a bull in a china shop. Some things need to break. Yeah. And so that other folks can come streaming in yeah. Afterwards. And that's really what what I want to see. You know, it's like I learn and I write and I think iteratively. I tell my clients all the time, you are someone's legacy and someone will be your legacy. Mm. Mm -hmm. And so with an eye on like the folks who are my legacy, I, you know, it's like you can write something and it can be transformational at a given time. But it means nothing if you aren't making space for others mm. to say, oh, that's not quite right. Let me, let me adjust that. And how can I lift up voices 
so that mm-hmm. um, and get them in the room so that the field does change. It, there's so much variation. This goes back to something I think you were talking about earlier, Sarah, and and I was thinking about the the kind of medical ways that we that that therapy can sometimes be fitted into. And, you know, there's that strain of sex therapy in particular that comes from Masters and Johnson, mm-hmm. you know, all really great work, but it's very mechanistic mm-hmm. and it's very performance based and it's very, you know, like, how do we track this and how do we make this, how do we quantify things? And that's just not how I want my relationship to the erotic to be, to my body to be. So I think that there is a lot of movement. It's not to say that Masters and Johnson did not, and the folks who kind of like operate in those spheres aren't doing really good work. But I I just think that the moment we ossify and, you know, we we decide, I know what this is. Mm-hmm. And and that's the last word on it. You know, we're doomed. That's when it slips through your fingers. Yeah. Well, I feel like you're defining a new wave of feminism in a sense, mm. too. Like something that's coming in as you're talking is this idea of like second wave feminism was really about get the foot in the door and then I'm going to hold on to this status. Mm-hmm. And it's fear-based mm-hmm. and there's not necessarily room for anybody else because the resources and the privilege and all these things are limited. Mm-hmm. And what you're describing is this idea of like expansive lineage. It was very queer <laughs> at first, <laughs> like let me just call that out. But also it, I feel like it's approaching things from this idea of liberation for one can expand into liberation for all. So like the intersections of all of us who are fighting for a seat at the table, like the more that we can expand that out and get more of us, that then the resources, the space, all of these things become limitless rather than limited. Exactly. And, And it's kind of like what I hear a lot from sex educators, you know, it's collaboration, not competition. Mm-hmm. Right. Make the you know, table bigger, not try to steal a seat. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And I will say also, you're not just talking the talk like within your books and your work that you're doing, but also you're walking the walk because just looking at you, I feel it's permission giving. Our listeners can't see you, but you know, you have fabulous makeup, you're wearing this bustier and this chain necklace, everything. You're just living your sexual gender embodiment you can tell you're living it you know I can even I even find your voice very soothing in this way of like yes this is all available to you how you choose this is what I choose and I'm being bold about it you're a bold person that is um, helping the rest of us be able to be whatever kind of boldness we want to do also doing the Lord's work, you know, I really feel it's so important. It's so beautiful. Thank you for that, Robin. And, 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 um, I, I really do see so much of the work as, as 
permission giving or in even more than that inviting yeah mm-hmm. um it's an invitation mm-hmm. there's something really funny that happened to me when i turned 40 i i i started giving far fewer fucks <laughs> word and the same with like transitioning you know it was like as soon as i started becoming in some ways invisible to a or to a certain segment of the population like that just like opened up a whole lot of things for me mm-hmm. of of just like i'm i'm just going to be me over here you know like and you know you're yeah you can notice me or not but like i'm i'm going to rock it yeah <laughs> <laughs> love it i love it so much you have shared with us that you identify as femme, mm-hmm. and um, so I feel a sisterhood, a kinship <laughs> with you, and I know that for me, there have been a lot of through lines in terms of my femness and every aspect of my life, not just the interpersonal, and I I feel like I could sense that your feminist is in your work, but I would love to know from you, like how you feel like your femme identity has influenced the work that you do. Yeah. Femme is, is life giving. Mm. You know, I think that there are certain terms, queer being one of them, dyke being another and femme being another. Femme is, is so powerful and there's such a rich lineage of femme i think about um i I love language i love words and and a word that keeps coming to me right now is like mercurial Mm. um Mm. and and the freedom of being mercurial kind of i think pejoratively it can be flighty Mm -hmm. but but i think there's ways in which it's also there's a joy in being capricious. There's a joy in that flightiness <laughs> of like not holding things so tightly. Mm. There's a there's a short story I love by um, Anam Sufi, and it's called Undone. And at the end, she has this brilliant image. She says, "Hold me like you would a photograph from the edges and lightly." And I think about that all the time. I think about Hmm. like femme is holding things from the edges and lightly. Mm. Um, Queer is holding things from the edges and lightly. It's, it's play. Mm. It's, it's, you know, just kind of like, how can I, how can I judge that up a little bit? You know, how can I, mm, how can I, how can I turn that up to 11? And curiosity. I feel like is so curiosity. Important. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. And so how that impacts my work. One, I'm in I'm inspired by a lot of um femme writers like Dorothy Allison or Amber Hollabaugh or mm. Rachel Ann Jolie, these incredible femmes who are owning that and I love their writing. And during the the first few months of the pandemic, they were who I was reading every day. And they brought me back to myself. They brought me back to my body. Trans sex would never have been finished mm. without mm-hmm. my dangerous desires by Amber Hullabell. Mm. Never. And, and and I there's so much of 
of Amber's work in, um, <laughs> in particularly chapter five of, of my book. Joe Nessel, another great fan. And then the part of my work that is just like the playfulness, not being afraid to fail. Yeah, yeah. There's a scholar who talks about Ray Ashley um, Hoskin. She does femme theory. And their their work is so cool. They have this article about like the femme art of failure. Mm. And it's this idea of like femme is a failure of dominant and oppressive views of femininities, you know, and it's resistance. And there's a resistance in failing mm -hmm. because there's a refusal there. And it's, I am going to swan dive into this. I am going to fail spectacularly. Yeah. I love that so much. Yeah. Fail spectacularly. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I'm writing that down. I need to read it. Gender affirmation, I think, is such an important term that um, has been in the zeitgeist for a little while now. And I remember kind of hearing it for the first time. And I was like, yes, that's like, that's important. But you introduced a new term that I had not heard, gender pleasure. And taking that just, again, the permission giving yeah. and the embodiment, again, of going, not just that I'm going to display my gender the way that affirms my sense of self so important you know it's so you know when you wear just the right thing or or you just feel in your body in the way that you're like yes this feels right I feel like at home in my body that's so important but taking it to that next level of gender pleasure I'm just so interested in that term and and how um, that's evolving that concept is evolving in your work. So I first encountered the term uh, through one of the contributors to transsex, uh, Tuck Malloy. They're a sex educator in the Pacific Northwest. If I mention a lot of sex educators, it's because I love hanging around sex educators um, and probably far more than I enjoy hanging around other therapists. Um, <laughs> and you know what? We'll link these people yeah. in our um, show notes because it's so important to digest such a variety of um, work. And it's so great to see how many people are working on this as a, it's a community of it's huge. People. Yeah. And um, mm -hmm. they introduced this activity called a gender pleasure history. And basically mm. I, I really loved that. You know, it's, it's what is the history of how gender and pleasure, pleasure with it and in um, gender have lived in your body because so often the emphasis, especially if you're talking about like gender affirming care. So in, within like a, a medical um, space, we're always talking about resolving something, resolving dysphoria in particular. Mm -hmm. And I've seen so many articles, really great articles, but like where People are like, you know, how do I, uh, how do you, uh, some tips on how to avoid dysphoria during sex. And I'm like, okay, that's maybe a necessary condition, but it's not sufficient for me. Mm. Like, it's not good enough. What's good enough for me is like, I want to reach toward pleasure. Yeah. So my goal is how do we find pleasure 
in the body. And I've come to define gender pleasure as the pleasure one can feel in and with one's embodied experience of gender, whether that's feeling affirmed in one's gender within social, sexual, or intimate contexts, or just feeling yummy in one's body in a given moment. I want to think about like, for example, like feeling affirmed, for example, in your body, you know, it's like, that's, that's what we often think of as gender euphoria. I used to use that term. I, I'm not anymore because I think it sounds too clinical. And I think that it sounds too big, like too trans transcendent. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What I want to think about are the daily moments, mm -hmm. the, the just like run-of-the-mill moments where you're just feeling yourself. Yeah. Um, in Come As You Are, Emily Nagoski talks about contexts that are sexually relevant. And so gender pleasure and attuning to gender pleasure is about finding, like, what are your gender-relevant contexts? This is relevant to my gender. Yeah. Or a gender at a given moment. <sighs> And the pleasure in finding that relevance. Um, as I said at the beginning, you know, the idea of wearing corsets as essentially mm -hmm. gender pleasurable for me. Um, when we're affirmed, um, like I can, a sexual example would be like, I can tell when somebody is approaching my body um, from a place of, I know what this is. Mm. Like, even if you've, seen a particular genital configuration dozens, hundreds of times, you still want to approach it from a beginner's mind because yeah. it's your mileage may vary. And and it's like it's not just a different person, but it's a different person on a different day. Yeah. You know, and who is aging and who is, you know, like in just the flow of life, mm -hmm. I experience being affirmed in my body and in sex when something happens where, where I feel somebody's energy and intention to approach my body as something magical, as what I like to call a polymorphously perverse playground of wonder. <laughs> <laughs> I want to go to that amusement park. Yeah, yeah. Right? <laughs> right? Yeah, like I I want I I want that. I want people to mm, I want everyone to feel that because like how many times I mean I'll just speak for myself. How many times have I had experiences where it was like somebody was excited about my boobs, excited about what I could do for them as a top, but not excited about my body. Yeah. all of my body mm -hmm. i think we all deserve to be with partners who are going to joyously not just accept not just tolerate not just you know like eh, you know someone else's body but like just absolutely savor and worship the fuck out of it mm -hmm. yeah Oh, yeah, I love that. We've sort of come full circle in a way of the ways in which you 
at the beginning of our conversation, we're kind of breaking down this concept of orgasm as not serving us. And then in your work around gender pleasure uh, contexts, that that also really breaks that down into like the parts of a whole Mm -hmm. so that we can get to a place. um, I know my therapist refers to the resilience zone. Mm -hmm like a thing that we really had to work on together. Like I, I have this pattern of doing like pretty extreme joy seeking mm-hmm. to balance out the valleys, mm-hmm. you know, and having to come to this place where there is a, um, a groundedness, a contentedness in the day to day. Yeah. And so like what I'm hearing throughout your work and just your approach to life is this, like, how do we get to, where we can exist in an embodied state in ourselves, being really comfortable in not necessarily the peaks and the valleys, but also just in the like quotidianness of ourselves. Totally. I mean, and I I think about like the difference between body negativity and body positivity and then body neutrality, body positivity being so oppressive. Um, you know, like positive vibes only. Um, you have to love your body. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, you know, sometimes I like my body sometimes and or I like certain parts or I'm feeling it today. But like if you're thinking about things as body neutral, it's like on average, yeah, I'm kind of feeling myself today. Mm-hmm. I'm really feeling this song that's on that that's on Spotify, you know, and like, you know, how did the algorithm find this? But damn, I am like doing a five minute dance party and I'm really feeling myself in this song. Yeah. Well, we're going to have to have you back on uh, and approach this topic from just a non-binary worldview, I feel like, because now we're getting into, you know, you can break everything. I think that it oppresses us into this like attachment that we have in our culture to the binary. Yeah. I'm going to not get too much into that right now because we'll leap into a whole nother interview, but we will definitely have to have you back. This was so wonderful. And I want people to know what are you working on? Where can they find you? Um, where do you want them to buy your book? Because I know everyone can probably go onto Amazon and and purchase Transsex, but where do you want people to buy it from? I want folks to buy it from their local bookstores, support local mm-hmm. bookstores. If uh, they won't order it, um, bookshop.org, which serves a lot of um, and consolidates a lot of independent bookshops. Please, please buy independent stuff I'm working on. Uh, you can find me. Um, I'm probably most active in terms of social media on Instagram. You've talked about it in in other episodes, like the the problem of community standards. I'm thinking of um, your, your wonderful episode with Carly. But yeah, so I'm Sex Beyond Binaries on Instagram and um, my website, lucyfielding.com and IE not with a Y because I had to be obnoxious and Frenchified about it been choosing my name. (laughs) Yeah. And in terms of things I'm working on, I really want to do more community facing things. Um, I did a, um, the first muffing workshop. We, We think it's the first workshop on muffing 
ever. Okay, I'm feeling very ignorant. What is muffing? Oh. Please, I'm dying to know. I love this. Okay, okay, okay. So our bodies <laughs> have inguinal canals. And so like, you know, the, the triangle of, of the, the pelvis. So the cum like, gutters? Sorry. Sorry. That's the only term I know. <laughs> oh, my God. I love that term. I never heard it before. And you've never heard that? Never. I think it's that. like kind of like a. I think it's typically a like like a, you know, a gay male type of term. That's where I've heard it. I my gay man friends. I, I need I need this term in my life now. OK. You're like, look at the cum gutters on that guy. <laughs> so where the inguinal canals are. Yeah, and, and they are packed with um, muffing is a term it's, uh, that is uh, coined by Mira Bellwether in her zine, Fucking Trans Women. It, the inguinal canals are, are um, packed with nerve endings. If you use the kind of outer, the, the skin of somebody with external gonads, you can basically corkscrew in and diagonally up in the interior of the cum gutters. Um, so basically where the inguinal ligaments and the spermatic cords are, you can finger bang somebody from the front. Talk about gender pleasure. Like when I am being muffed, I mean, there's the pleasure of, of being muffed. There's a gender pleasure of, oh my God, I have two fingers in each hole. And this must be what like being fisted must feel like. I don't know. It certainly feels like that when I'm fisting somebody. And then there's the gender pleasure piece of seeing the joy in a partner's eyes when they're like, holy shit, I didn't know I could do that. And yes. she's getting off on it. Yay. Blowing my mind right now, Lucy. Blowing my mind. I love it so much. Yeah, you just you just trumped uh, my wait what that I had planned for this episode. So thank you. You just <laughs> gave us our other segment it's so great so glad i asked you're such a bonus i was gonna let it slide and just be like oh that's something i should know i'm embarrassed to ask i am so glad you did too people are so creative <laughs> so creative if you have external gonads um sometimes like if you check for a hernia like you go to your like um wellness check they'll basically muff you they're it's not done in a it's like it's all about energy and, and tension and context right because it doesn't sure feel great in the moment but like when when your intention is to muff somebody it can feel really great i love it and so like i'm trying to um i, I really just want to offer more muffing workshops oh, you. you know and oh, you got two people that are ready to sign up <laughs> right here yes I love it. Really, truly, anyone who wants me to offer one, just like I, I will, I will do it because, um, you know, I'm I'm doing another one in Seattle in um, January. That'll be entirely community focused. I want to go other places. I want to get to LA. I want to get to New York and Philly and Montreal and Europe, and I want to open up those possibilities. And uh, these classes and also your intensives are all uh, people can find them at lucyfielding.com, correct? 
it. Yes. And I also uh, put them up routinely on my Instagram. Well, this was absolutely delightful. Thank what you so much for spending this time with us and sharing your work. And I hope that everyone does find you on Instagram um, because that's how I found your work. And yeah. it's been really fun to watch you from afar and so wonderful to be in conversation with you today. Oh, God, I just loved this. This was so much fucking fun. I love it. Thank you. Thank you, Lucy. Well, like I said to Lucy, that was as delightful as I thought it was going to be. Yeah, I, I'm blown away on multiple levels. She's amazing. And again, you know, it's happened with other guests, but I just feel like this podcast, the people that we're talking to, a, a theme that comes up over and over again is permission giving, really allowing yourself to be yourself. And this idea mm -hmm. of embodiment, like truly, I mean, that is the ultimate being yourself, right? Like get yeah. back into yeah. your body. Embodying yourself. Well, and in doing so, what she was saying is that you then invite others yes, to yes. that party. Yes. So cool. Like, I love that that's really baked into how she approaches her work. And yeah, I found her incredibly inspirational. And, you know, it's, it's so weird, this internet world that we live in, where I mm -hmm. followed her work for some time and been really... Um, impressed from afar on a professional level but to get into conversation with her and be like I want I want to know you like I want more opportunities to share space with you like I yes. just I got a number of times throughout our conversation got tingles through yes. my whole body of like just feeling that magic of when you make those connections and likewise Oh, yeah, she's magical. Yeah, yeah. And spreading the magic in, in a way that um, is so practical on a certain <laughs> level and useful. I love that her line of work is in therapy, but also doing so much work to change how therapy is even viewed, particularly sex therapy, the way that we're um, approaching uh, trans bodies, queer bodies, but also, you know, any bodies. We all deserve to be embodied in ourselves, presenting gender um, pleasure, body pleasure, like in going to just the day-to-day -day enjoyment of our lives and um, in our truest selves. Like, I think ultimately it's getting down to that. How do we get to our truest selves? You know, there are often groups and individuals within those groups that break barriers. Yeah. But that then the benefits translate uh, to all of us, right? That like the work that she's doing from this space of focusing on transsexualities, mm -hmm. like all of us who are cis benefit from that work yes. and the ways in which she's you know, working in community with other people around this concept of gender pleasure, that that gets us all thinking more critically about how we relate to our gender and like what 
from the mainstream narrative is serving us and what isn't. Right. And also her literary background. I mean, I felt like I could, like, could you just define words for me? Yeah, please. Share words that you, that you love because just her very intentional choice of language Yes. Was so interesting and hot and all the things. I was like, oh, I, I mean, my God. I would love to for her to just tell me about, you know, the erotic literature that mm-hmm. she's read and mm-hmm. her perspective on that. Yeah. Her depth of knowledge. Of, gotta get in a book club with her. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> of, of erotic text was really, I'm like, oh, mm. I wish I could call to mind. Like, I maybe I need to do something with that uh, lit degree. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Girl. Yeah. No, she <sighs> is. She was really amazing. Um, and like I said, she absolutely trumped my wait. What? It was. I'm so glad that she brought muffing into the conversation. Yeah. Because I, when she said that, <laughs> so you were like, I don't know what you're talking about, and I was like, I'm like, oh, I, I know what she's talking about, and I absolutely thought of a completely different thing so I've heard of muffing in the context of like I mean I think it was like a derogatory term in like the 19th century or something that like Hmm. bury someone in your muff meaning like an overbearing femininity like face setting that like you know you're like stuffing men's faces in your yeah I mean that sounds awesome (laughs) Right. And so I was like, oh, this is like power dynamics around like face sitting or any of these kinds of activities where someone's face is going into your genitals. Yeah. I mean, in muff always in my mind is somewhat about the pubic hair as well. So I imagine like yeah, a dominating face sitting, but where like pubic hair is a key component. Yeah. So I was like, oh, yeah, we're we're talking about like using face sitting as a form of domination. Yeah. No, <laughs> no, no. That is not so, what she was talking about. Wrong. <laughs> not that might be a thing. Yeah. Um, if that's a thing, listeners, let us know what it is called, because we made up or I made up this whole um, kind of play in my mind. Um, that is not my thing. So thank you, Lucy, for educating us on this. Um I did have a couple questions after her explanation where, like, I feel like I have a pretty good sense of the anatomy, um, but I was not exactly clear on how you find the gutters. And so I thought that maybe a couple other folks might not be as well. So I'm going to, I found an article by the amazing Toby Hill Meyer um, on Autostraddle. So I'll, I'll link to it. Um, and uh, this article also confirms the term muffing was coined by Mira Bellwether in her 2010 zine, Fucking Trans Women. So I want to give a call out to that as well. So I'm going to just read from this article, but certainly go find it because there is an anatomical illustration that will really help to bring this to life. So did you know that the phallus goes down to the base and continues along the inside of your body? 
That's called the root. If you follow the root of the phallus, you will find the inningual canals on either side of it. Okay, so they are behind the scrotum and angled downward. If you run your finger down along the phallus, you might miss it. Instead, run your finger upward alongside the phallus to find the opening. You should find an outer ring that you can push up and into. Gather up the loose skin of the scrotum and invert it so that you have the mobility to move inside the body. One interesting part of this kind of penetration is that the skin surrounds your finger like a glove or a finger condom, so your finger never comes into direct contact with anything internal. The inningual canals are a pair of small body cavities around the groin crotch area that are about an inch deep. Inningual canals are best known as the place where testes grow in fetal development. And when the testes drop, they come through the inningual canals into the scrotum. While inningual canals are much easier to access in people with scrotums, people who do not have scrotums also have inningual canals. Having some familiarity with the area from tucking has led some trans women and trans femmes to explore this area. And for trans women and trans femmes who can experience being penetrated in the front, and it can be really meaningful, which obviously we know. If you're a person with a scrotum who's exploring this area on your own body, start by pushing one of the testes into the canal. They were designed to fit in there, and you don't have the snags and bups that a finger might have, so this should be easy to do. Once you're comfortable with that and you're ready to enter the inningual canal with a finger. If you are, um, as a listener, feeling confused by this, really go and look at the photos of the anatomy charts. It makes a lot more sense. I will say I have had experience with the inningual canals without realizing it. (laughs) When I was a dom, I would do a fair amount of CBT, which is not cognitive behavioral therapy. As most people know, it's cock and ball torture in the dom context. And there would be instances that would happen semi-regularly where I'm torturing someone's testicles and their balls run away and hide. And I would always be like, uh, uh, uh. And I knew from other doms, you push along those, that V along the cum gutters, and you can pop them back out. What I didn't realize, I just thought they were jumping up into the body out of terror, which they were. But I didn't know there was these little canals, basically. So you can push along those Vs and pop the testicles back out so you can continue doing your worst. You know? <laughs> so, um, yeah, I had no idea. And, you know, and this is why it is so important, the diversity of experience and giving people permission to have a diverse kind of experience that that this kind of comes out of uh, trans women tucking and exploring their bodies in different ways that we now know about, like this whole other kind of I mean, we've studied so much anatomy in that area. No idea. I had no idea. I mean, I and I think the power of storytelling as an educational yeah. tool. I mean, I'm going to come back to that again and again because I just have found it so meaningful in my own life in so many ways, but particularly when it comes to sexuality, because 
our bodies do really cool things. And if we're just approaching them from like this kind of clinical perspective rather than this really embodied, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, skill sharing, oversharing, storytelling perspective, like it's um, it's really expansive. And so I'm so excited that she shared that with us, that she's teaching these classes. Yeah. And um, I learned something new today, and that is awesome. Yeah, invite Lucy to your town to teach about muffing because that's just for real. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, please get in touch with us too. Let us know what are some topics that you would like to hear about, some guests you would like us to have on. If you want to share a fuck yeah with us, Mm -hmm. you can find us uh, on Instagram and TikTok, fuck yeah pod. You can email us fyeahpod at gmail.com. I think I got it right that time. Uh And, uh, you know, please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. It is a way that people find us and we really want people to find us and get this good information and meet these wonderful people that we are talking yeah. to. Yeah, tell your friends. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Until next time. Fuck yeah. Bye. Knocking them out of the park. Fuck Yeah podcast is produced and hosted by me, Sarah Tom Chesson, and Robin Jennings. Theme music is produced and performed by she, her, sir. You can find out more about what we're up to at fuckyeahpod.com or reach out directly at fyeahpod at gmail.com. If you're enjoying the pod, give us a hand. Rate review, subscribe, wherever you listen, and make sure to share it with a few friends. Thanks so much for tuning in.